0: hello everyone welcome back to the show my guest today is sherry prince she's a lawyer commercial real estate broker and a fellow podcaster sherry is a very very inspirational character I expect to learn how she managed to finish law school and work while being a mother how she started her podcast how the commercial real estate market is doing and much much more before we start however i just want to mention to you my newsletter Would you mind getting a short email from me that is packed with goodies, value and a bunch of cool stuff I recently learned. Easy to sign up, easy to cancel and absolutely free, with a bonus of only 5 minutes of reading time. So, if you'd like to receive value for free, go to tutatophow slash newsletter. Again, that's tothetop.how slash newsletter. But now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sherry Prince. Hi, Shari, how are you going? How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Now that I'm a lot better now that I'm here with you.
0: Oh, oh thank you. That's great to hear. Um, and well, how was your week? Busy?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, the week has been a blur. Oh. I am located in Flowood, Mississippi, and we have um, Thanksgiving this week. So it's been a rush to try to get things done and get out of the office so that we can, so that I can actually take some time with the family for the holidays.
0: Oh, OK. And what are you currently working on?
1: Well, it depends on what day of the week it is. Oh. Um, the big, <laughs> yeah, the biggest thing that I'm doing right now. <clears throat> excuse me. Sure. I have a digital course that I'm launching the first of the year in 2020. So that is my biggest project.
0: Oh, and what will the course will be about?
1: Well, I'm putting together um, all of my best advice about how an entrepreneur, solopreneur um or so proprietor can actually you know develop an estate plan relatively inexpensively
0: oh it'll be all the let's say digital product or it will be some books or
1: Well, it would actually be a digital product. And, you know, the price point would be very low because what I found is that if you are new to business, sometimes calling an attorney, an accountant, um, an insurance agent, and spending that money up front, you may not have it. So the aim for the Entrepreneur's Estate Plan is to have resources that you can actually put together your own plan until you're able to actually afford professionals to um, assist you with it.
0: Well, well, that's great to hear. <laughs> I know about it myself because when I started my company, I, <laughs> I had all those difficulties. And yeah, so I know. And thank you for doing that because it will be extremely
1: useful. <laughs> well, I will definitely send you a link um, and a code for your listener so that if they're interested, they can actually get a discount using the code um, oh. if they heard the episode.
0: Great, sure thing. Um, Well, uh, at the end of the episode, we'll talk about it, so I can link everything in the description. Um, So, uh, could you briefly explain to the audience, um, what is your specialization as as an attorney?
1: Well, I primarily help entrepreneurs with their business and their states. Um, I'm licensed in the state of Mississippi in America and anything business related or dealing with their state. I also do some real estate work as well, but I have a very good network of people that I work with because it's important to me that although I can do other areas that people actually specialize and you're working with a network of people who do things that you don't do so that your client can have a very good experience and the representation that they need.
0: Right, Well, that's a great combination as a, as a lawyer to have. And have you always wanted to be an attorney or in law in general?
1: Well, okay. Funny story. And I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to date myself too much, but <laughs> when I was younger, I used to have a notepad that I would carry around. And this is back before, well, I guess we had DVDs. No, we didn't have DVDs. We had VHS players. Um, but it was way before streaming. And I used to watch shows like Matt Matlock and Perry Mason, and they <laughs> worked. So as a young child, I wanted to be an attorney. But as I grew older, it really didn't fade. But my focus shifted more to business. So I actually did not go to law school until I turned 30. Oh. And you know, that was a whole story behind that. But initially, I did want to be an attorney. Yes.
0: oh. That's interesting. Um, Well, my mother is uh, a judge, so I know a little bit about these things. Um, Okay, and uh, was the law school as difficult as I've heard?
1: I think it's a matter of perspective. Um, After my stint watching Perry Mason and Matlock, I thought I wanted to be a medical doctor and find a cure to cancer. Well, it wasn't until my first year in undergrad, I had a biology lab and we had to dissect I think it was a pig. Yeah, dissect a pig and I fainted. Oh. I I couldn't do it. And I realized I don't like the sight of blood either. So I definitely couldn't be a doctor. Um, so I would think that not that being an attorney is hard, but I think that people have a preference or different gifts or different things that interest them. And anything that you are passionate about, you can do. And I realized that I was passionate about law and helping people. So it was time consuming um, and it was, there were days that it was very hard just because of my circumstances when I went to law school, but I definitely don't regret a day of it.
0: Okay. And your circunst- circumstances, what were they? So that,
1: Well, as I, yes, as I mentioned, I was 30. Mm-hmm. And by that time I had a three-year-old and a six-month-old oh. and yeah, I'd had a career before then. So in law school, they did not allow us to work over 20 hours a week the only job that i can find that would work around my school schedule was as an assistant at my daughter's daycare now this is when minimum wage was five dollars and 25 cents an hour oh yeah so imagine two kids at home you know now i'm a full-time student and the only the only income i have <clears throat> is 20 hours a week at 5.25 an hour so it was difficult
0: oh, i can't imagine that um, so well, how did you manage to do that? Because it's, well, it's, it's an extreme example. <laughs> well, I
1: mean, it was it was a very tough time. But I literally, I had to get government assistance. Um, and I had family that helped. But had it not been for the family and getting government assistance, I really would not have made it. So I was blessed to that end. And it really informed, I guess, the way that I look at things. Because prior to then, I'd owned businesses you know, been my own boss, and I, you know, at that point, I had my real estate license and I had an MBA, so it was a humbling experience, but it was worth it. You know, if you invest in yourself, the time that I spent in law school was another investment. So I looked at it like an investment, and it's paid off in dividends since then. So no regrets.
0: Great you, um, you said you owned businesses. What, what were they?
1: Okay. So I am I am somewhat of a serial entrepreneur. Um, a lot of people know me for what I do in terms of being an attorney. But prior to going to law school, um, I had a communications company. I'm still a real estate broker and just other small businesses. Um, immediately before going to law school, I had two mortgage companies. And with the 07, 08 real estate bubble that's what really informed my you know, decision among some other things in terms of getting out of the mortgage business. Mm-hmm. So, there were a lot of things going on. You're going to have to read about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
0: well, yeah. So, um, did this, uh, the bubble of 07-08, did it affect your business, as, as I said?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, it was a really hard time because um, I lost a lot during that time. And you know, the decision to go back to school was very intentional. It was very deliberate because you should have been able to see the collapse of the real estate industry or the mortgage industry coming. There were a lot of people who were able to make an early exit and I was not one of those people. So one of the things that I vowed to myself is that I'm going to help others be able to more accurately predict, you know, when there's trouble coming because, you know, we were rocking and rolling and just doing great and then you know if you're not looking at the numbers or paying attention to what the industry's doing then it can creep up on you so back then i feel i thought like it crept up on me and since then i've just been on a mission to help other entrepreneurs not to have that same fate
0: have you watched the movie big short
1: no i haven't no, do it's... i need to i need to put that on my watch list
0: uh well it's about the bubble of 0- 708 <clears throat> uh, it's a story of various entrepreneurs various traders that um they sort of predicted the whole bubble happening and uh, there's also uh, michael jesus christ i forgot his name the guy that he's predict he predicted the market and he was shorting uh, the, the whole mortgages and those companies for a lot longer time um he was almost fired from his job because they lost millions but then the bubble happened and he Made his fortune <laughs> so, i'm
1: gonna have to put that on my watch list
0: yeah that's a very interesting movie um and for many people it may be confusing uh for me it was at the beginning because <laughs> around that time i was about five <laughs> so uh, and also in poland so it didn't affect me that much but uh yeah it, it puts a lot of perspective for people that haven't lived through that um and i will it's a lot of businesses uh, and well on your LinkedIn, I just saw your attorney being an attorney and uh, real estate brokerage. So um, what was your first business? Because you said you're a serial entrepreneur. So what was that? And okay. Was that?
1: So my very first business um, was a PR and marketing company. that's when I was 21 years old. And, you know, I tell this story a lot. I entered into a partnership with a handshake which is something I suggest no one ever does. There was not a contract, and it did not end well at all. Um, Fast forward a few years later, I got my real estate license. Then I got my real estate broker's license. And, um, you know, then at 30, I went to law school. So it was a winding road, and um, it was interesting. It was very interesting, but um, all of those things, you know, in my Liam Neeson voice, you know, I have a particular set of skills oh, I that, that. I've acquired <laughs> over a period of time. <laughs> yeah. So it's made me who I am. And I think it kind of uniquely positions me to do this type of work and I love it. Wow. And
0: so how did you connect being an attorney and managing real estates?
1: Well, I started out as a real estate investor, even before I got my real estate license. So when I started you know, buying homes, renovating those homes and either renting them out or flipping them. I was like, hey, I can actually do transactions for other people and make money as well. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started as a real estate agent. Um, and I just I loved it. And when I started transacting for other people, I was like, OK, so now I can, you know, have agents and be able to kind of scale my income and not just be dependent on me. And it kind of grew from there.
0: Okay, um, did it take long time to well, get let's, uh, sort of in the motion of being a real estate broker? Because, well, uh, two or three years ago I was uh, trying for a job as a real estate broker uh, because I was looking for something to well, help me invest into my own company and uh, the lady there um, that was recruiting me said that it will be a long time before you get something done and it will be a schedule that will be all around a week and nothing that will be really scheduled and this is why I I quit this sort of position because I love my schedule I love to have everything set up and uh, well to to know what I'm doing so um, did it take a long time
1: well I I received my real estate broker's license way back in the stone ages and it did not take a long time because back then Um, there was not a very lengthy waiting period between going from being a sales agent to being a broker. And so I was fortunate, but after, you know, the 08 mortgage debacle, they just changed a lot of regulations. And and really they should have. There should have been more barriers to actually... um, allowing those licenses to be issued, more education and things like that. So I was fortunate that I got in before it was more heavily regulated, but, um, I want to say that maybe I was a real estate agent for maybe two or three years and then I received my broker's license.
0: Well, in Poland it's not regulated, so you can Mm -hmm. just become an agent.
1: Yeah. Well, it it used to be that you didn't have to be an agent. You can, you know, take the broker's exam directly. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't think that was ever a wise decision because there's so much you need to know and there's experience you need to have so i think that now with more safeguards being in place it's a much better model
0: yeah well i agree with that because well it's better to have it regulated and for people to actually know what they're doing and well you also have a podcast and when did you decide to start it
1: i'm sorry could you repeat that
0: yes uh you also have a podcast for for people listening oh. and when did you decide to start that
1: Well, I wish I had a really fancy story about that, but um, (laughs) yeah, the truth is that after the pandemic, I was able to just sit for a minute and be still because prior to then, you know, I was taking the kids to Taekwondo. We had dance lessons. We just, you know, were all over the place and I was busy being a mom and living life. And so when the pandemic hit and I was able just to be at home and to focus more, um, I realized that. I did not want to continue professionally the way that I had prior to the pandemic. And I started looking at other things to do. And one of those things that I did was I hired my first coach and this guy basically showed, you know, me and other people in his coaching program about different ways that you can make a living, have a life and have more time freedom, because I didn't have a lot of time freedom. And one of the things that he said was you need to get a podcast, not how to do it, not really why, just you need to get a podcast. And so the investment that I made in the program was, was a significant investment. So I, I was like, whatever he says do, I'm just gonna do it. He's successful and I'm gonna be successful doing it as well. So that's how I started the podcast. But since then, I've absolutely fallen in love with it. And um, we're, we just recently moved our episodes from once a week to three a week. So um, yeah, that's the origin story.
0: Oh, think And while you, uh, this coach, was a life coach or a business coach? What type of coach?
1: <laughs> well, I'm an asset protection coach. Mm-hmm. So what I've done, because being an attorney, you have to be licensed in the state that you're practicing in. And if I want to help people in other areas, I'd have to be licensed in each state. Um, if there are additional requirements outside of the United States, I'd have to have some sort of license. So part of what my coach um, showed me how to do as well, is to transform my knowledge and my skill, and just you know, do asset protection coaching. So it's not legal advice, but it's helping people get frameworks to be better using those same principles. So I'm kind of like the quarterback for an asset protection team. You know, I help you with the plays. I show you what needs to happen, and I just kind of make sure stuff gets done.
0: Okay, asset protection. You mean like if someone owns, let's say, a real estate or stocks or some sort of thing, so. Uh,
1: so when we talk when we talk about asset protection, I help entrepreneurs merge their estate plan with their business plan. Now I do work with individuals who do not have a business, but most of my clients are um, entrepreneurs. So a lot of what they do, think about this: you're great at making widgets. You're the best widget maker you know in your entire town, and so you decide because you're so great, you're going to open up a business well, you're terrible at business. You know nothing about it. You're, you know, people don't pay you. You don't have a collection system or anything. Um, You haven't really thought about a will or a trust because you're just busy making widgets all day. That's your number one thing. So what I do, I come in and I help you on a personal side, put together a plan so that your family's protected in the event that you pass away. And then on the business side, I mirror what you've done on the personal side to make sure that your business interests are covered, that everything's properly insured, that we have mitigated any risk to your business so that whatever legacy you're passing to your family through the estate plan that we've set up is intact. And so I call that building a moat around your assets.
0: Okay, that's more clear. (laughs) Thank you. And how are you enjoying the podcast?
1: Oh my gosh, I (laughs) love it. I mean, I'm serious. I just, I love it. I wish I could do it, you know, full time. We have not quite reached um, Joe Rogan numbers. You know, we're making multi-millions and such, but I get a chance to talk to people like you all over the world. And the goal of the podcast is for the listeners to walk away and have at least one piece of actionable advice that they can implement into their business. But in the process of doing that, you know, I've made new friends, I've gotten new resources for my clients, and it's it's a delight. It's a real delight.
0: I agree with you, totally. Um, I just started only a few months ago, but I'm enjoying it a lot. I get to talk to incredible people, get to learn a lot, because, well, you're talking, you're learning, um, you're listening to those people, and it was just amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely it's, it's incredible. And you said you were, at the beginning, you were doing it once a week, and now it's three times a week?
1: We just started the first week of November, uh, moving to three times a week.
0: Oh, yeah, well, I'm doing it once a week, but uh, with all the podcasts li- lining up, I-, I think I'll go two times a week, something like that. So, this is great. And the, co- the consistency you learn, it's also very important.
1: Oh, definitely. And I've been batch recording because there are still some months that I don't get a chance to record at all. Like, for instance, the Entrepreneur's Estate Plan that I'm launching in January Well, I have three other launches planned for next year. So, you know, they're like three week blocks that I cannot record. So I've just been doing batch recordings. And I want to say right now, I have recordings scheduled through the end of May at three times a week. Yeah. Like when you see me drinking my tea, it's because, yeah, my throat, yeah, it's adjusting as well. I'm doing a lot more talking. Oh,
0: I I also have a tea here. (laughs) (laughs) fellow tea drinker um yeah well i yeah, also I'm, I'm batch recording because in college and doing a lot of the other things i'm doing uh it's it's really good to have some sort of backup in in case you just are, are not able to record it so yeah it's very really, really smart and just how do you manage time for all this launching the program podcast doing your work as an attorney and being a mom full-time also <laughs> so.
1: well you know I'm very intentional about managing my time because time is a currency that you can't get back. Absolutely. And so I'm constantly trying to find ways to automate stuff at my, you know, at work. I'm trying to find productivity hacks at home, meal planning. And the biggest thing that I do, I talk to people who are doing what I'm doing or doing it how I'm doing it. So if there are other busy moms or busy professionals, you know, I'll ask the question, how do you do it all? And there are just, you know, some simple things that people tell me sometimes, whether it's preparing food, you know, ways to do laundry, what you know, just simple things that make my life better. So I lean a lot on other people and just trying to find ways to be more productive. And the main thing that has helped me, and this is so funny because, I did not realize the power of a nap. Yes. You know, when you're younger and your parents say nap, it makes a difference. Now that I'm taking more naps throughout the day, and when I say more naps, a nap, (laughs) I'm not asleep all day, (laughs) but I've started taking a nap during the day. And that is a very intentional point to reset because my brain is just always moving. Um, And so that has been one of the biggest things is just really having that reset during the day and finding more productivity hacks.
0: Great, and well, if you could give one or some sort of advice for young moms that also want to do a lot that you do and still be a good mom, so what would it be?
1: I would say you have to prioritize. And that was very hard for me because I was a single mom. And so, you know, my thought was I need to be present for my children. But I also need to keep these lights on. You know, we need a place to live. Um, We need reliable transportation. So, how do you balance it all? And when I was actually transacting a lot of real estate, it was hard because when do people want to go see houses? You know, on Sunday after church when they get off work at five o'clock. And those are the times that are, you know, normally reserved for family. So, I had to make a lot of decisions. Um, So as any single parent, one, you need a village. It really does take a village to raise a child or children. So find your village. Your village may not be um, your actual blood family, but, you know, find someone or some organization or a group of people that will support you. And also make sure that you're taking care of yourself. One thing that I did not do very early, like in my 20s and 30s, was exercise a lot. And so you'd be amazed now that, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but, <laughs> you know, your, your body is not the same. And the things that you're able to do when you're younger, you can't do. So it's really important to eat right, exercise, um, and be careful what you allow in your space and what you allow, you know, to be heard and seen by you. Because those things influence how you communicate and how you show up in the world.
0: Exactly. Which is the average of five people you spend time the most with. Yes. There's also a podcaster called uh, Chris Williamson. He has a great podcast. I love it. And he also says that you are the average of the five podcasts you most listen to. <laughs> so um, well, on that matter, what are the podcasts you listen to? I wonder.
1: Um, oh, my gosh. So there is one podcast that just launched and it's called Mama Genius Hub. Um, and the host of that podcast is Michelle DeKaiser. Now I've been knowing Michelle for I guess about a year, and with the recent launch of the podcast, I was so impressed because it's just a, it's a safe place for moms to go to get inspiration. And you know, a lot of people see me show up as a professional, but so much of what I do is about legacy. And, you know, trying to have an example for my kid. So that's, you know, one podcast. She just dropped, I think, 12 episodes. And so I've been binging the episodes for that podcast. Um, I also listen to Amy Porterfield. Amy is a digital marketing expert. And so what a lot of people don't realize, they don't know that I have a communications background because I don't talk about it a lot. But Amy has found a way to take some of the most complex things about marketing and advertising and just building your brand and put them in bite-sized nuggets. And so every time I listen to her podcast, I just feel that I walk away with something that is awesome. Um, another podcast that I listen to, I listen to Brendan Burchard a lot. He is just, you know, his story about being a young guy and being suicidal and just turning his life around and now you know he's like the father of professional development um and he's a young guy I think Brendan may be younger than me but he started very early in life you know he's helped Oprah Winfrey and you know some of his BFFs are some of the most well-known people um in marketing and personal development so I listen to Brendan a lot because he gives you he just he just gives it to you very real. He's a very authentic person. So I would have to say those are some of the top podcasts that are um, on rotation right now for me.
0: Okay. Well, I didn't know any of these, <laughs> but I will listen to them because it's say, something Look, interesting. Ch-
1: <laughs> check them out wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I, I don't have any affiliate links, but they're great <laughs> podcasts.
0: Great. Okay. And re- regarding the marketing, I listen to uh, Russell Brunson a lot. Um, do you know Russell?
1: Oh, I do. I used to have a ClickFunnels account. Okay, and now, Rus- look, Russell, don't be mad at me. I had to switch to Kajabi. But oh. yeah, that's a, that's another conversation. But yes.
0: Yeah, I like switched to Go High Level because when I had my marketing agency, it was just a little better. But now I saw all the changes that ClickFunnels had, and wow, um, it's a lot. And there's also different priorities because I believe ClickFunnels is more of a software for people that want to launch their courses or their communities, something like that. And Go High Level is more for an. Well, a typical business owner on the agency side because there are a lot of automations, marketing stuff there, and they're just different in some ways. So, yeah, but both are great. And yeah, OK, maybe let's talk about uh, a little about your industry right now. And what is the state of the U.S. real estate market? Because I'm really curious about that.
1: Oh, my gosh, um, for anyone who has been living under a rock, the National Association of Realtors, you know, has just been sued, and there is a two billion dollar judgment. Um, yeah, hanging out there, and it basically—well, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna say two billion dollar judgment. It's a two billion dollar lawsuit. I think the judge is still assessing damages, so it actually could be more than two billion. But um, you know, it stems from antitrust and allegations of collusion regarding fixing commissions. And so that's just a fancy way of saying that realtors were accused of getting together and saying, hey, we're going to charge this price and that it caused damage to people when they really could have gotten a lower commission rate is what it kind of boils down to. So as it relates to the real estate industry, because when I started, I started in residential real estate and Over time, because of those things that I mentioned and, you know, driving, you know, Mm -hmm. having to drive people around on the weekends and holidays, I wanted more family time. So I switched to commercial, which generally lends to an eight to five workday because the people that you're dealing with are, um, you have business people and the expectation is a little bit different. So it really gave me my time back with my family. But I think that there are some things on the horizon that will substantially limit the attractiveness of people who would like you know people who desire to be real estate agents because the margins may not be there and where you used to you know maybe close three transactions a month now you're having to close six to actually you know earn the same type of living so you're really going to see at least for the seller and the buyer, I think a better quality of agent because these are going to be people that may be more motivated. They may have more skills and they may, may, may already have the number of transactions needed to be profitable. Um, I think you're going to have a lot less people who are selling real estate as, I hate to say as a hobby, but maybe part-time. And you're going to have more full-time real estate agents who, you know may have a more vested interest in giving you a better transaction
0: well you said that the commission rates are lower and yet I can constantly see that the prices of actual real estates are constantly rising and it's actually a problem because not many people can afford that without the mortgage let's say and even with the mortgage
1: well I well look I don't think I said the commission rates are lower I think that the lawsuit alleges that commission rates should or could be lower because you know the claims in the lawsuit are basically that the buyer is subject to whatever commission rate is set. Because if I'm a seller and I have a house, when I get a listing agent, we're gonna negotiate what the rate is gonna be to sell my house. And so that commission does not have to be paid by the buyer, the seller pays it. But what happens to it, it's still rolled up in the price of the house. And the seller really has, well, I say really has, but the seller has, the buyer has no control over that. So if I'm buying a $100,000 house, and there's a 6% commission. Well, that's a, that's $6,000 that the buyer is ultimately financing with a mortgage, right? And they didn't have an opportunity to negotiate that because that's the amount that the seller and the real estate agent agreed upon when the house was listed. So what happens if the buyer is able to say, well, no, the commission should not be 6%, it should be 3%. Now the buyer has saved $3,000 that they, you know, don't have to bring to the table or finance. So I see both sides of it. Um, I see both sides and I do see how it can reform the industry. It's one of those things where, you know, how you've done something for so long. And so it just feels like it's the right thing to do. And now somebody wants to change it. But, um, but I do see the upside to it.
0: Okay. And as a commercial real estate broker. Um, do you think that because of the COVID and the pandemic and a lot of people working from home and not even needing a well workspace, work office, um, do you think that those real estates will even get um, cheaper or, or maybe high, uh, more expensive? What is your point of view on that?
1: Let's take our minds back to the Jetsons. Okay. the jetsons were on when i was a little girl and i don't even know if they still show the jetsons but you know there were flying cars back then okay. and i thought by the time i was an adult that we'd have flying cars and we still <laughs> do not have flying cars well actually we
0: do have one there is a guy i don't know where but there is a car that can drive on the on the, on the road and then it expands the wings and it can fly. there's only one car like that and there's a guy that's only fights oh, himself so
1: well, you know i stand corrected i'm gonna have to check that out <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, i'm gonna have to get a new example but um well okay let me say this i thought that my cards would be mainstream how okay. about that yeah, yeah they're not mainstream so i think there's always going to be a need for brick and mortar structures but i think that definitely there's going to have to be some sort of reformation for the commercial real estate industry because just like you know you and I are here mm-hmm. I'm actually in my office I have a studio in the back of my office but there are a lot of people that are um, you know podcasting and doing shows they have tv networks on youtube in different places that they do from their homes and COVID really taught us that all we really need is a microphone and an internet connection and there are just so many things even like you know with my kids at school it used to be every single thing that we did I, I would have to drive to the school to drop it off or show up in person and show my id and when COVID hit they were like no don't come down here send us an email you know e- you know fax us the form so i really think COVID informed us more that we don't need some of the brick and mortar structures we don't need a lot of the formalities we used to have Um, so yeah, I think commercial real estate is going to be impacted, but I don't, not necessarily that it will slow down, but I think that things will change because now that we know more people are doing stuff at home, I think maybe even the way that we build our homes. So when you build a, when you build a house, the standard for your electrical outlets and your water, your plumbing, your things like that, they're lower than a commercial building. Yeah. But now that we know more people are doing stuff at home, I think that people will start to upgrade their homes um, with commercial specifications because, like, at some point, I'm going to actually move a studio to my house, so I'm going to have to upgrade my outlets and other things. Um, I'm going to need to add a generator. So I think that the way that we build is going to be different, so it'll shift, but it'll always be a need.
0: Okay. Okay, I get it. Well, I don't have a studio yet, but one day.
1: <laughs> you know what? And I tell people, I don't even think a studio is necessary. It depends on what you're doing. Um, I have one just because I had the space in my office. And I wanted the separation from being at home and having to work because I kind of want my home to be my sanctuary. But now I'm thinking that for convenience, I do need a studio at home.
0: Yeah, well, to, just to produce a better quality thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how does your law experience affect your role as a as a broker?
1: How does it affect it as a broker? I think it makes me a better broker. And the reason why is um, one of the biggest things that you have to do as a real estate agent, you know, of course, knowing about the house, you know, the type of architecture and things like that. You have to understand contracts because every single thing that you sign and there are a lot of documents that you sign as a real estate agent you have to understand and be able to advise your client about what it is they're signing so you're not giving legal advice but you're explaining the contents of the of the um, agreement and you're telling them that you know they have these rights and those rights So I would say that it actually helps it because there are things that when I look at contracts, for instance, most associations of realtors will have a standard contract that you can use. And of course you can draft your own, but the standard contract is very, I would say vanilla, but it has your basic protections. There are some larger agencies that will have their contracts that are very unilateral. And so any sort of relief, in the event of litigation, it's geared towards that agency. So when I see those contracts, there are some things I'm like, oh, no, we're not doing that because there's no benefit for my client. So if I was not an attorney, maybe it would not be as clear to me that this contract is not for the benefit of my client if I'm representing the buyer. So I really think it helps me and it enhances what I do in terms of real estate.
0: So would you recommend someone that wants to be a real estate broker to get some sort of education in law?
1: Not necessarily. Um, and, And this is the thing. When I was in high school, I was just told, hey, get a high school diploma. And then when I got my high school diploma, hey, you got to go to college. You're not going to get a job if you don't go to college. Then they were like, oh, you know, you got to get a graduate degree. You're not going to get a good job if you don't get a graduate degree. And there was this push behind formal education. But now things are different. I didn't even learn how to use email until I went to college. That's how long ago that was. And so now you have all this education at your fingertips. Like I have a digital course that I'm putting out. Well, I've taken a lot of different digital courses that have really shaped new skills that I have now to actually move my business forward. So today I would say that traditional education may not be the way to go, depending on what you would like to do. Um, getting degrees and certifications may not be what you need. It may just be seeking knowledge um, and working with a mentor or a coach.
0: Okay. Okay. And how do you remember your college? Was it a great experience or was it not not really good? Um, Did you really want to go to college or just went there because your parents or someone told you to to go there because if not, you have a worse outcome in life, some sort of...
1: Well, it it started out that I went because I thought I had to, and if I if I have to be totally honest, um, I had I was dating someone in high school and I went to college the college that he went to, because you know I thought I was in love and 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 young people don't do that don't do that. <laughs> it turned out great, but um, I actually have a daughter who's in college now, and for a period of time she felt like college was not for her, and this is before she went to college. And I told her I said look. If you don't want to go to college, that's fine. You need to have a plan. But worst case scenario, I believe college is a social experiment because I met so many great people. I was able to travel, visit places that I had never been to before. Um, I grew up on a 150 acre farm in the country. And so like the nearest Walmart was 26 miles. I was so green. And so, you know, now I'm in college and I'm meeting people from all over the world. I'm going to their hometowns. We're taking trips to football games. So, you know, maybe this is not the best advice, but I told my daughter, I said, go and have fun. You know, I would like for you to make good grades. And she's, you know, an A student. I'm blessed that she is an A student. But um, if nothing else, just go and get the experience and see what happens. And so she is getting a lot of experience, but she's also making good grades and I'm proud of her.
0: Okay. Well, I'm happy for you, happy for her. Um, We'll see (laughs) how I will remember my college, because right now uh, I wouldn't say it's great. (laughs) Because I always... um, All those entrepreneurial thoughts and everything um, came to me when I was in college, and now I think um, college is not for me, but my parents told me that I should go, because, uh, well, my father is a doctor and my mother is a judge, so (laughs) there's a lot of college education there and a lot of pressure, let's say.
1: Well, you know, don't tell them I told you. It's a social experiment. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I would just say go and strive to be the best version of yourself. But if you feel like it's something that you're not called to do, because honestly, if I knew prior to entering college what I know today, I don't think that I'd be an attorney. I would have taken a totally different route. I would not have gone because, okay, I went from undergrad. I did grad school, got an MBA. And then I went to law school. You know, they have programs now you can get an MBA and a JD, but I don't think I would have done any of that. I would have, you know, gotten my real estate license very early, my insurance license, and I would have focused on self improvement. And I still would have been where I am today, but I could have been possibly further. It's just the way that we look at formal education. And even though I have a lot of stuff on the wall in my office, I think I would have taken a different route. So, definitely I would encourage people don't feel cornered to go to a university or to a college figure out what you want to do because time is a currency
0: there's a poem of sorts I don't remember its name but um it's really powerful and I remember a line from there um it's your life is your life don't let it be clubbed into duck submission something like that
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that, that's, but... that's true
0: well my college fortunately it is um, it allows me to do a lot of different things because it's not very strict, there's not a lot of classes and things I need to do So I can do the podcast, I can learn on myself, by myself and do different things, but if I had more things to do then I would definitely quit it, honestly Because <laughs> I know it's not for me and I was never the type of the guy that um, would want to get a job, <laughs> I'd rather go build my own business or just have this freedom because i had many jobs before but uh, none of them lasted more than three months <laughs> because, <Yeah. laughs> really because i was a good worker i honest, i was an honest worker diligent and resourceful but i just couldn't bear the fact that someone tell, tells me that i should be somewhere at a specific hour wear a specific well, attire and do the specific thing and there is no freedom in that so
1: oh I, look I, i've always felt like that so i mean i've been an entrepreneur since i was 21 and so, um, yeah, I just got tired of people telling me where to be and how to dress. And, you know, if I'm not in court or meeting with somebody formally, I literally have tights on at the office and I'm working. Um, and, you know, when you're on Zoom, you just have to be perfect from the waist up. <laughs> so, Yeah
0: i had a situation uh, back in high school where we, there was a pandemic and one of my friends just wore very uh, nicely uh, elegantly he wore a, a shirt uh, maybe a, a jacket <laughs> and then he had to get up and there was not only uh, only his pants so oh really-
1: my gosh yes
0: <laughs> it was funny yeah okay and if you could pick only one to continue doing uh, real estate or law which one would you choose and why
1: neither And this is why. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, Similar to what I said, I thought like the path that I took is not so much a path that I think I would repeat what I'm doing right now. I'm really transitioning. And my goal is to become a just a full time asset protection coach and not practice law anymore. Now, I'll still maintain an active, you know, I'll keep my licenses updated. I'll do my continuing education. But I really do not want to limit my skills. Um, Being a real estate broker and an attorney, you're limited to the license that you have in the jurisdiction that you have that license. And there are regulatory things that you're limited to do. And so with coaching, you know, you make sure that you're ethical and the things that you do are true. You're not overstating stuff. But it really gives me an opportunity to help more people. And that's my goal
0: exactly because well you hired a coach so you have a good experience with coaching i believe
1: oh my gosh i love it so i mean i'm doing a lot of the same things but i'm just reaching different people and so when the pot is bigger that you're fishing in you just get more variety so the types of problems that i'm helping people solve are different and i love helping people solve problems so you know in the city and town city or town that I'm working in on a particular day, you know, you may have similar problems based on your geography, but when you are working with people across the world, you have similar issues, but there are different ways to tackle those and you have different points of view. So I just really love how I'm growing as a coach in response to what my clients need.
0: Exactly. There's a really popular method of actually learning something because, um, You can learn something really well if you mm, know how to present it and how to teach it in a very simple way because if you understand it you can just transfer your knowledge in a very simple terms and there is this scientist that invented that i forgot his name sorry but this is method if you want to learn something you need to teach it even to the imaginary audience and just make it as simple as you can and this is how you learn so exactly okay and um okay if someone let's say 18 to 25 wanted to do what you do right now being an attorney or a commercial real estate broker how should they approach it what would be their plan let's say
1: i would say the very first thing you need to do is find someone who is doing what you would like to do and ask them to mentor you and the second thing is get a coach Because a coach and a mentor are different. So once you identify what it is, you know, because before I actually settled with state planning and business planning, I tried different areas of the law and I figured out very quickly I did not like to do certain things. So once you dial it in with a mentor and a mentor should be a trusted person, Um, not so much somebody you would tell all your personal information to, but someone who's trusted to give you The real scoop, somebody who does not mind sharing information. Because, you know, in some places, people don't want to tell you how they did it. So if you can find somebody who can tell you how they did it, who's willing to take your calls and answer your questions, get a mentor. And then pay a coach so that you can have quantum leaps. Because, you know, you can try to go to Google University or YouTube University and figure it out yourself. But if you have a coach who's willing, who has done what you want to do, and who has a structured program, and that's the difference with a mentor. A mentor may be more informal, but a coach is going to have a structured program that should be set to give you these quantum leaps and take you somewhere further, faster. Um, So those would be the things I would suggest doing.
0: Great. Well, You obviously have a good experience with coaching, but I think coaching in general brings mixed feelings with different people so um, how could you explain to someone that is really skeptical skeptical sorry about coaching that they should give it a try and that it's actually helpful
1: well honestly you know three years ago before covid i really did not believe in you know paying somebody to be a coach for me like it took me looking at where i was and i had a friend who had actually invested in a coach um, prior to COVID. And she told me about it. And I was like, why would you pay somebody to tell you something you can figure out yourself? But it's not about that. A lot of it is mindset. And so when you look at coaching as an expense, that's the problem. It's an investment in yourself. I will tell you that prior to having a coach, yes, I make a very decent living. Am I doing better now that I have a coach? Definitely. But if I You know, has it informed all areas of my life? I can tell you, hands down, every single area of my life, including those areas that I'm not being coached on, have improved. Well, why is that? Normally, depending on the coaching program that you're in, you may be in a cohort. So you get to meet all these other people who have similar situations to you, and it just really enhances your life. It shows you what's possible. And there's so much value if you find the right coach. So one, don't look at it as an expense. Look at it as an investment. And there's a quote, you know, or colloquialism. Um, I'm not sure who first said it, but don't knock it till you try it. So yeah, don't knock it till you try it.
0: And how do you find the right coach?
1: Starting with the mentor, um, you know, usually those people... Um, have experienced maybe more life, or they have more experience in that area. And so starting there, and then, you know, I know that's going to sound really simple. Facebook groups, you know, these are free resources, because you have people that desire to know certain things. So what do they do? They either start a Facebook group, um, or they join one, they have, you know, Reddit groups, And they have other online forms of like-minded people. And usually in those groups, somebody is talking about a person or a coaching program that has really resonated in their life. Or there's somebody who's raising their hand and and they're saying, hey, I've gained results from working with this person. And they may not even be promoting that person. They're just sharing their experience. So definitely looking for um, online groups in the area that you're interested in. And if you see someone who's maybe just, you know in the group all the time making comments and suggestions that may be the person that may be a coach or has a coach that can actually help you get to your next level
0: okay well (laughs) i have a little little bad experience with facebook groups or some any sort of thing like that because there's a lot of there's a lot of value in there but there's also a lot of junk i believe people that are trolling and are not actually there because they want to achieve something more but i think that Right now it's very trendy to um, create a community. If you are some sort of a famous person or you have a mission, you create a paid community. Because if someone pays you to join it, enter it, then there's a sort of barrier to entry that this person is actually invested in being as good as they they are and trying to do better. So, uh, yeah, if I ever decided to join a sort of coaching program, I would... start with that to join this paid community because there i actually know that people there actually want to do something not just sit around and well make fun of others that are successful okay and um I'm a, I, with, I like to read and i always ask this question um what books help you in your career and life the most
1: what books so i am a visual and audio learner. And a lot of the books that I listen to are performance-based books. Um, There's one book recently um, that I started reading, High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard. And, you know, It's just all about how to get better and things that successful people do on a regular basis. And so your definition of success may be different than my definition of success, but we may have similar habits that cause us to be successful. So that's one. Um, Also, you know, I've just been really in awe of former first lady Michelle Obama and her book Becoming, because even though, um, President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama, you know, are both Harvard-educated attorneys. They're still people. And just the way that they've raised their family and how even now, you know, they've transitioned. They do some entertainment stuff. And just their life, I think, that's very inspirational. Um, And a very early book that I read as a child and and later just loved the original um, adaptation of the movie was The Color Purple. And so you're probably thinking, how does the color purple have to do with real estate or estate planning? A little. (laughs) Yes. But when you look at the human condition and how people operate within a family structure, um, my upbringing was kind of tumultuous and it wasn't always great. My grandparents were great when I finally went to go live with them after my mom passed away. Um, And I stayed with my aunt for a period of time, but just looking at how... Well, looking at the relationship between siblings, husband and wife, friends and the evolution over time and the way that government and schools of thought influence that on the surface, it doesn't seem like it's very deep. But when you actually look at the period of time that the book was written in and those relationships and the internal struggles and battles and just the basic search for freedom of the main character who was paid, who was played by Whoopi Goldberg. Um, it's just an awesome story to me. So, I mean, that hands down um, has really informed the way that I enter into relationships, friendships, partnerships, um, and just taking some deeper lessons from the book.
0: Okay, well, I'll to my reading list then. <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to young people around 18, 25, that want to become better and get to the top, what would it be?
1: First, be intentional. You know, don't let life happen to you. Wake up every single day with a plan. And you know, that plan may be just to um, do laundry for the week and pick out your all your all your clothes so that you'll save time and that you can get to where you want to go faster. But definitely be intentional um, and to be kind. Because when you're when you're out in the world and you're showing up as a public person, or even a private person, you never know how you impact other people. So between the two of those, I think personally and professionally, you know, there's really no way you can go wrong, being intentional and being kind.
0: Well, kindness comes back. I know that. It does. Okay, and well, you have a lot of going on in your life right now, and well, all the time. How does it affect your romantic life?
1: What romantic life? No. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just. Curious.
1: No. Well, no, I'm. am joking. I'm joking.
0: If that's the personal, you, you, need to, you don't need to
1: answer. No, no, I don't mind answering because you know it's to me. It's a funny question because you know I see myself as you know just Cherie from Louisville, Mississippi, from a farm growing up, and I'm not the type of person. Even if I met, you know, a famous star, I'm not a starstruck person, but I think that because I do a lot of speaking engagements and, you know, if you know that I'm an attorney, I think sometimes people look at me differently, but I'm just a woman. I'm just a person. So, um, you know, I've had times where I feel like it's been difficult because um, I'm not seen as a person. I'm seen as an attorney or a real estate broker. So um, it's not always easy, but um, it's manageable and it's still being managed. So,
0: <laughs> okay. so you're going to say that people sometimes are intimidated by your achievements?
1: That's such a strong word. Um, you know, sometimes you just may not give something an opportunity because you may feel like um there's a a a more attainable option or something that's easier to acquire and so I don't like to use the word intimidated but um yeah I don't feel like I'm always being seen for who I am as a person so
0: okay I understand I have some friends that struggle with the same thing so I understand okay and you said a lot about building a legacy so if you could be remembered for one thing what would it be
1: Okay, so if I could be remembered for one thing, um, you know, Einstein created E equals MC squared and like that's like he did so much so many other things, but that's like his one big thing. I would like to be remembered for the person that created the framework for asset mastery. And the word mastery sounds like a very strong word, but really In my mind, and this is what, you know, my goal and what I try to teach in my coaching program is that it is your estate plan plus your business plan. And you both, both of those things have, you know, four to five elements when joined together creates asset mastery. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter how much money you have in the bank, um, where you live in the world, you know, there are about 10 components that when you put together, you have asset mastery. Now, mastery does not necessarily equal perfection because things change. You buy stuff, you sell stuff, you make more money, you lose money. But the way you build a moat around your assets, the way that you protect your assets, there's a formula for that. Um, and just really quickly, have you seen any of the Trek movies?
0: Mm. Once again
1: shrek you know the green oh yeah yeah of course so like you know like when they're entering the castle Mm -hmm. and you you have to put the the bridge down and stuff and there's water around the castle Mm -hmm. like that the water is a moat so a castle is protected the way that you protect your assets that's what i do i teach people how to protect them and so if i can be remembered for being you know maybe the grandmother or the mother of asset mastery i would love that
0: Well, there's no goal that is too big i believe (laughs) If you think big, if you actually want to do it, that we'll do it. And there was even a study that the goals that seemed unrealistic were even fulfilled more than than those that are actually realistic.
1: Yes, look, I just um, interviewed someone on my podcast and his whole thing was... um... His, I think it's like go for stupid. So in his coaching program, when people come to him um, and they say, hey, my goal for my company is to make $100,000 this year. And he's like, that's all. Man, let's just go for stupid. You know, let's make it a million dollars. And he said, you know, often they don't make a million dollars, but they make $500,000. So, you know, they 5X that initial goal just by going for stupid. So I'm going to go for stupid and be the the mother I don't want to be the grandmother because I'm still young and supple so yes the mother of asset mastery
0: Well, that sounds really nice really great and there's a book called the magic of thinking big have you have you read that
1: I have not but I'm I'll add that to my reading list
0: yeah that's really great it's, it does exactly there are a lot of stories of people that didn't think that something is actually attainable and then they set up this unrealistic goal this stupid goal and they just believed it through and through and just got it it's it's really inspiring a little maybe some people will say it's cringe or weird or unrealistic and we are too wishful and too let's say um, happy-go-lucky but these stories are real and you get a little more pumped up <laughs> for doing what you want to do
1: well look you can tell people that on your show i was officially dubbed the mother of asset mastery and i'm going to update my bio today to reflect as such so yeah
0: exactly <laughs> i will title that mother of massive mastery exactly okay and um those two closing questions i always ask so what are the two questions people ought to ask themselves more often
1: okay so i know you said two yeah. but because i love your show i have yeah. three for you well, Thank you. and yes these are borrowed but i still you know believe in these um i mentioned that one of the books that i really love is um high performance habits by brenda Burchard. Brendan also, his mantra is, did I live, did I love, did I matter? And so those came from a near-death experience that he had. You know, he was in a car accident and he, he, you know, thought he was not going to make it. And while he was there and waiting on medical assistance, he asked himself, did I live, did I love, did I matter? So, you know, I challenge anyone who's listened to this on a daily basis, being alive is not living Are you actually living? And while you're living, did you love other people? Did you treat people with kindness? And two, when you're waking up every day and you're being intentional, do your actions actually matter? You know, are you on a video game every day or or are you doing something to, you know, better the human condition or just better your family life, your work culture? So did I love, did I live and did I matter?
0: I love that, really. (laughs) Very thoughtful, very deep. I love asking this question because um, there's. I believe that we are our best coaches. And if someone asks the right questions, we will answer them ourselves because we already know the answer, but someone needs to get that from us.
1: Oh my gosh, that is so good. But yes, you're exactly right.
0: Yeah. And what is your one favorite quote from a historical figure or a celebrity or anyone for that matter that helps you in your life the most?
1: <sighs> okay. My favorite co- quote is by Peter and it's basically be the future that you want to create the best way i'm sorry the best way to predict the future um, is to create it and so i tell people i kind of switch that around and say be the future that you want to create because if there's a change that i want to see i want to be that change um i mentioned that i have a teenage daughter who's in college and you know you know sometimes her and her friends don't always get along and I asked her I said you know are you the friend that you want them to be to you so if you want to actually create change in your relationships at work in your family you create that change if you want a future you know as a rock star okay you need to start taking music lessons so create that future
0: yeah it's very similar to what Gandhi said because be the change you want to see in the world (laughs) yes Very similar. yeah that's great it's all, one of the principles you should really take to heart okay sorry let's bring this one home where should people go if they want to know more about you
1: yay okay <laughs> um the best way to reach me if you really want a conversation or just some general information is linkedin um my handle on linkedin is sheree speaks that's s-c-h-e-r-r-i-e-s-p-e-a-k-s plural um you know, and I'm on there chatting from time to time and you can just kind of see what I'm doing. And now, even though our host does not like Facebook groups, I do have a Facebook group (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um, people are there raising their hand, getting information. We do not do any pitching or promotions in the group. We are seriously answering questions and helping each other. Now we do have events that um, my company sponsors that are educational events, but that Facebook group is the small business owners, entrepreneurs, and solopreneurs. So um it is a private group. And you know, just join and somebody will approve you once you answer the three membership questions.
0: Okay. Well, show you. Thanks for coming. Incredible podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed myself.
0: Great. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.
0: So ladies and gents, that will be it from this episode. Thank you, Sherry, for coming to the podcast. I will link your podcast and everything from you in the description down below. And now, I hope I provided some value to you with this episode. Please remember to share this podcast with anyone that would benefit from it. And remember that on Spotify and Apple, you can leave us up to a five-star review. This doesn't cost you absolutely anything and helps the show tremendously. Please also subscribe in order not to miss any episodes when they come out. So, I will leave you now. I hope you have an incredible rest of the week. Remember to surpass your limits and that winners are made in the darkest of times. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.